Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the security posture at the Energy Department and the public-private partnership that mitigates cyber risk. It's Friday, November 4th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Today, a conversation around cyber risk and defense at the Energy Department. AFCEA Bethesda hosted its Energy, Infrastructure, and Environment Summit at the National Press Club Thursday. The leadoff speakers were Ann Duncan, the Chief Information Officer at Energy, and Piyush Kumar, the Director of the Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security, and Emergency Response. Ann began the conversation with some background about the mission of her office and the CSER office. Today's topic is delivering energy resiliency in a dynamic digital environment. Uh, and uh, that's our life. Uh, so there's a lot we can talk about between what Piyush does and, and what I do is we each have a different role in DOE that we work closely together to accomplish. Uh, so in addition to the, the, the things that, that we do for DOE that, 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 that are sort of my role, DOE is designated as a sector risk management agency for energy infrastructure. Uh, so, so between Piyush and I, we're responsible for ensuring unity of effort uh, and in serving as the day-to-day federal interface for the prioritization and coordination of activities to strengthen the security and resilience of critical energy, the critical infrastructure, electricity subsector, and then Piyush has responsibilities outside electricity, which I'm sure he'll get an opportunity to talk about as well. Um, so as a CIO, I provide leadership for cybersecurity and IT and OT across the department, including our power marketing administrations, which uh, serve, which sell bulk power, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, and then using a risk-based approach, my, my office is responsible for ensuring that our systems are secure. And in that, we're part of DOE's unity of effort, which is how we approach cybersecurity. Um, and OCIO provides foundational IT and cyber support. And then specialized support and network support comes from all over DOE and all our partners. Uh, so, Piyush, let's uh, get, get going here. Can you talk about how CSER fits into that unity of effort model and your role working with utility providers? Thanks so much, Anne, and, and thanks for having me here today. And really, that partnership is really important at the department with the important role that Anne and her team play to really secure all of our federal networks. And if you don't know, DOE probably has one of the largest federal networks of any other agency, possibly right up to with DOD, um, when you think about it. Um, and it's you know the nuclear sites, the PMAs, the headquarters, the national laboratories. So it's, it's pretty impressive, the, the role that Anne and her team play. Uh, so my office is focused on the private sector. So we're externally focused. So we're working with the over 3,000 electric utilities across the United States, the oil and natural gas companies. And then we're also working with a lot of the renewable energy companies that are connecting into the uh, electric grid. And so it is really the entire energy sector. And really the idea is um, how do you work with them to prepare for mitigate, and then when called upon, respond to these very different threats. And that includes everything from climate-based threats, uh, such as hurricanes and wildfires, um, to cyber attacks. So we led the response to the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack last year. Um, So it really is any risk or threat that can disrupt energy supply in the country, how do we work to mitigate it? Um, And so you're doing that through a lot of different ways. Um, one way is policies. So along with Anne, um, we represent the department and the sector at the National Security Council. Um, we work on capacity building activities. Um, we do research and development um, to 
we put out a lot of funding opportunities for innovative tools and technologies to buy down risk. And then of course, last but not least, we respond. So we have a whole team of responders uh, that actually go and respond to cyber emergencies, but also natural hazards. So, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the details later, but broad brush, that's kind of the focus of, of our office. Great, so, um, so I wanna just talk about how we connect in the, in the PMA space. So um, DOE's got four PMAs. Those four PMAs sell bulk power uh, to utilities which serve 65 million people across 35 states. Uh, so they, as a result, uh, we operate thousands of transmission lines, hundreds of substations and communications facilities, and numerous supervisory control and data acquisition uh, uh, solutions. So, um, and the PMAs fall under our cybersecurity guidance and governance in the OCIO. And so they, they have four things that they, four basic things they have to secure. Uh, they secure bulk, the bulk energy system, which includes components in the transmission of high voltage electricity across the geographic region. Um, they do all their IT. So there's all the IT systems that any part of DOE would have, and they have those systems. They have operational technology, which include all the components used for control and protection and monitoring and operational support of the bulk energy system. And then they obviously have physical security as well. So they have to secure those components using physical protections for the equipment and the staff to ensure that those can run. Um, so we're doing a number of things to secure that, and we're doing that jointly with Fuchsia's office. So um, we'll talk, I'll talk a little about that and then let Fuchsia jump in and talk a little bit more about it as well. So um, we're, right now we're, doing, we're creating an effort to provide intelligence-related support to all the PMAs um, to discover and assess vulnerabilities. And uh, we're looking for all sorts of things, including uh, advanced persistent threats uh, to the network. Um, and we are providing intelligence support in the performance of forensic analysis as well. So this, this effort is uh, our intelligence organization within DOE, our office, and then we work between, with the PMAs, and then Pusch and his team are able to share that information out to industry and engage with us in that process. Um, so another thing I wanna share is that right now, um, PM, uh, Western Air Power Administration is working with us um, to enable the resilience through putting some of their services uh, and monitoring in the cloud. So historically, that's all been on-premise, and so we're piloting moving that to the cloud, and actually um, we then have to uh, uh, get uh, FERC uh, to say that it's okay to put it in the cloud. So that's, we're testing that out right now so that we can have a better picture of system health over time. So it's a, I think it's a great example of partnership where you know, we're developing capabilities with the PMAs, and then uh, Pius, you guys are able to, to use that capability out in the industry. Um, so you wanna talk a little bit about, about how that works for you and how you're uh, able to translate that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the PMAs are under the jurisdiction of federal networks, right? They're part of the DOE. So we have an obligation to follow a lot of the federal requirements that Anne and her team set for the PMAs. The PMAs are also part of the broader energy sector. And so they are also, um, they have to follow some of the um, regulations put out by FERC and NERC for the bulk electric system. So they have to do both. Um, and in some way, being able to actually operate our own utilities, we can actually learn what works, what doesn't work for the sector. And so some of these new technologies and emerging technologies, it really gives us an opportunity to partner 
to see what's going on in the PMAs and what do we do for the energy sector. One big area of focus that we're working on together is really advancing monitoring for cyber threats in the OT ICS environment, industrial control systems environment. So if, you're, if, if you saw last year, the president had a big announcement about cybersecurity for industrial control systems. And really the push was we need to get more visibility of cyber threats. So for a very long time, we've done a really good job on the IT side. Um, OT is where we're seeing a lot of cyber adversaries focused. And that's the part of the network that can actually have impacts to energy delivery. And so we really need to get visibility into that. And so as Anne and her team are thinking about that visibility into the PMA networks, we're thinking about it and working with the energy sector to also deploy similar technologies to get that visibility of cyber threats and then be able to correlate across and see what's happening here versus what's happening there so we get a better picture of the of the threats that are targeting these really critical systems across the country. Uh, so, so maybe maybe I'll ask you a quick mm -hmm. follow-up. Um, you know, where do you see, wh what are areas that you think we need to do more on with the PMAs when it comes to building their cyber resilience? So I think that we are moving in the right direction with the PMAs because OT is, a, is, is the huge area that we have neglected in the past. Um, so working closely with them on uh, understanding their operational technology and getting it well instrumented so that we can get really good data from the PMAs and then uh, we can share that across, which is through this effort we're embarking on now, is sharing that across all the PMAs and combining that with, uh, with intelligence information uh, to, to, to see, okay, what's happening in the PMAs? What does that mean uh, for the rest of the, the industry or what does that mean for um, uh, the rest of DOE, because if you think about who's attacking DOE, uh, you know, many of the people who are going to go after the PMAs first, who may see them as potentially a softer target, even if they're not, they may perceive them that way, uh, are the same people who are going to come after other parts of DOE. They're going to be interested in NNSA, they're going to be interested in nuclear power plants, they're going to be interested in other things. And so, but, you know, the, we can use the data we get there as warning systems for other parts of DOE. Um, as well as figuring out how to work with our international partners to help us understand that as well. Because another piece of that is that, that, that Piyush and I uh, have, have interactions across uh, the globe with different countries at different times um, and their energy sectors. And how do we learn from their energy sectors and their security folks about what threats they're seeing? So I think with PMAs, it's tightening that relationship, making sure because one of the other things about the PMAs that, um, that, that is an interesting challenge, right? So Pius gets money from Congress, and we'll talk a little bit about Bill in a second, to help the sector. Um, the PMAs are expected to fund their work from their ratepayers, And so, uh, and, and, and I occasionally am able to help them out uh, with, with funding, but, but because of where I sit in the organization, I'm not a favored child, uh, uh, you know, like say NNSA is, and we kind of joke that NNSA is, is, is better funded than all the rest of us put together. Um, because for those of you who don't know, that's National Nuclear Security Administration. We're glad they're well funded. Um, we would just like to share. Um, but so, so we really struggle to make sure between my office, the PMAs, and occasionally other folks around DOEs, that there is enough funding there to provide the instrumentation, to provide the analytics, to provide the intelligence help understand what's going on. So we, we have this you know, uh, relationship back and forth where we pull data both directions to try and ensure that 
that they're amply protected, uh, as well as uh, being whatever we can do internally uh, with it, with the funding we have for the PMAs. Because you know, bulk so bulk power uh, uh, providers, you know, we provide bulk power to, to utilities. Utilities are very sensitive to our rates because they're sensitive to the rates that they have to charge most of whom are regulated. There, there are some occasions where they're not, but for the most part, they're going to have to make a rate case to increase their rates, and then that's a whole set of different problems. So, um, you know, from our standpoint, it's how do, we, how do we outfit them with more tools and capabilities so that we can bring that data across all of DOE. So, I mentioned money. I mentioned money a lot. Um, so, the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law uh, and the Inflation Reduction Act um, had some funds earmarked for CSER. Uh, so tell us a little bit about um, uh, what you're doing with that and how you're going to help the sector. Sure. So um, the infrastructure bill, the Investment and Infrastructure Jobs Act uh, from last year, uh, DOE got $62 billion to execute. Now, it's not, not our office. <laughs> you <laughs> only got 61. That, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we got $62 billion. And really, a lot of this is focused on the energy transition, right? That is what we're going to, to do right now, is we're going to be connecting solar, wind, EV charging stations. This is all going to be connecting to the grid. And so that $62 billion is going to be spent over the next five to 10 years. That's exciting, because it actually starts to address the other risk that I worry a lot about, which is the climate risk. Um, the increasing hurricanes, the increasing wildfire risk, it's just getting worse and worse every day. And so that investment is going to help us really start to buy down that climate risk. Um, but as we buy down that climate risk, we also need to ensure that as we integrate a lot of these new technologies, these new architectures, and these new systems, we need to ensure they're secure. Um, and actually, I think this is a strategic opportunity like we've never had before. Because in many ways, with the grid of the, the past, um, we are bolting on cybersecurity. Right? The grid was deployed years and years ago, decades ago, and we're having to bolt on cybersecurity. Um, I think we have an opportunity, and an opportunity I think we all can be seizing upon, where we actually design in cybersecurity. So there's a, 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 a lot of work we're doing at the department, and um, my colleague from Idaho National Laboratory, Zach Tudor, is going to, I think, be on one of the panels to talk about it, called cyber-informed engineering. So how do we engineer things more securely from the get-go? How do we work with standards organizations so that when we're designing the grid of the future to be safe and reliable, we're also ensuring it is secure? And so um, that's one of our big focus areas where we're working with all of the other offices that have the billions mm -hmm. of dollars um, to ensure it is secure. Now, we do have um, some funds. A lot of our funds are focused in um, three big areas. One is R&D. So we're going to be investing in cybersecurity research, development, and demonstration projects uh, specifically focused on, all, on a lot of clean energy systems. So as these systems go to the cloud, um, as we start to have new architectures, how do we ensure that we're, again, designing them securely? And so we're going to be putting out funding opportunities focused on cybersecurity of energy systems, um, particularly ones that are going to support this new energy transition. We're also going to be focusing, um, a, a, a portion of our funding is focused on um, municipal utilities and rural co-ops. So these are the really small utilities. There's 2,700 of them across the United States. How do we ensure that they also are all secure? So we have funding dedicated to work with that community specifically, and we've been hosting listening sessions to really get feedback from the utilities themselves, 
from technology vendors, from manufacturers. And so we have an RFI open right now to seek feedback on how is the best way to really make a difference with a lot of those small munis and co-ops. So if you haven't seen the RFI, I'd encourage you to look at that and provide us with feedback. Um, and then lastly, we're really thinking about threat information sharing. So building upon what Anne was saying with the PMAs, um, how do we really operationalize cyber? How do we correlate data across different energy systems? How do we use the inherent properties of the grid um, in terms of sensors and analytics and marry it up with cyber intelligence? How do we do all that together? And so that is a big effort that we're undertaking. Um, and it, it, we're calling it our Energy Threat Analysis Center pilot efforts um, that we're, we'll be sharing more about soon. But really, it's operationalizing cyber. Yeah, and I think you know the cyber-informed engineering piece of that, I mean, that's all really interesting. But, but that one, and I don't, Zach may still be in the ready room. I don't know. But when Zach speaks later, he can talk about it. But yeah. we actually, there he is. Um, he's over there, I was, I'm trying not to look that way as much because my mic cuts out when I look that way. So sorry, guys. Um, so, um, or at least it sounds to me like it's cutting out. Um, so, so the cyber-informed engineering is, you know, basically it's, it's how do we design in security to hardware and software? And that is what we need for the future of the grid. And it's what we've been talking about in the software world for a decade or more, right? So it was like, oh, you know, first we need to, to test stuff and design. And then, we, oh, wait, maybe we should stop testing in quality. You know, we did this with quality, right? We'll test in quality. Well, that doesn't really work very well. So we started designing in quality. Well, now we said we probably can't test in cyber either. So we need to design cyber in. And that is a, just an awesome program. And I want to give a shout out to Zach. And you can ask him about it later. I'm, you know, I knew, unfortunately, you... you got waylaid DC and you couldn't join us, but we had um, National Cyber Director Chris Inglis out to INL last month, and uh, he, was, he was just really wowed by, by that program uh, and what Zach and his team are doing out at INL to really ensure the future of our grid. So, um, you know, it's because it's your point is, you know, when the grid used to be dumb, right? It was, it was basically, you know, a bunch of transmission lines with a couple things at either end, mm -hmm. and now you've got uh, e electric vehicles on it, you've got solar panels on it, you've got batteries on it, people who are sending two-way traffic across a, a, essentially a design for a one-way grid, um, smart meters that are sending Wi-Fi information back. I mean, you know, I can pull my phone out if I hadn't given it to Jennifer and show you, you know, the, the solar running on my house in California uh, that the power company uh, couldn't see and, and, and my provider couldn't see and they're telling, well, we think you're it's offline. I'm like, no, I can see right here. It, right. It's running right now. I can tell because my Wi-Fi is telling me. So that grid is, you know, is we're we're not the grid is not prepared for everybody to do that right now. Absolutely. And so it's a huge effort that you guys are undertaking to make that happen. Well, just one quick thing on that. Mm -hmm. You know, so certainly the you know the climate risk is driving a lot of these changes. I also think there is the fact that we're trying to become more efficient, more reliable with the grid, which means we need more sensor technologies to be able to talk to each other. So that's driving it. And then the third thing that's driving it is customers. Mm -hmm. Like you said, uh, we all want our Nest thermostats. We want to control everything on our phones. And so a lot of customers are actually causing the grid to change. And so all mm -hmm. of these coming together, and then we haven't even talked about the, the cyber threat itself mm -hmm. um, that is compounding all of that. So it's, it's certainly um, a complex environment right. that we operate in, but I also think it's, it's an exciting one where we can actually really change how the grid looks like in the future and is inherently scary. Right, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's inherently amazing, inherently scary because yes. every one of those entry points that 
you and I have and the utility companies have as an entry point for cyber criminals. Right. So we have to not secure just you know, the operations center, we have to secure the operations center and your house and your car and the batteries on your house and, and your, your um, uh, thermostat and all those things have to be secured. And that's why OT has become so important to us because you know how many how not this week but you know maybe 10 years ago how many of you put a device on your network at home and didn't even think twice about it like whether it's got a password you know now you go oh maybe it's got a password maybe i should change the password if it doesn't have a password maybe i shouldn't use it well we think about those things but let me tell you there you, you know as well as i do there's still a lot of people out there who are doing that without thinking twice and guess what those are connected to the grid and the last thing we want to hear is Someone's Nest thermostat brought you know the the, the grid down in in DC. I mean, and that's the that's the kind of thing we're trying to protect against is, you know, segment that, control it, make sure that one entry point doesn't take down the whole grid. Um, so, I, we're, we're, I got the five minute signal probably about four minutes ago. So, um, you know, I just want to I, I want to talk about a quick couple things and, and then give you a chance to close uh, as well. Um, so I just want to make sure, you know, we, we talked about this. I also want to put a couple things on the table about climate and energy justice. So they, they just go hand in hand. And we haven't talked about energy justice. I don't want to get off the stage without talking about energy justice. We are continuing to, to uh, work towards meeting the, the, the promise of the Biden administration to put 40% of the benefits of our investments in uh, energy um, and other technologies to underserved and overburdened communities. So as we look at the bill funds, as we look at uh, the Inflation Reduction Act funds, as we go through our everyday projects, we are making sure that we are improving the life of those underserved communities. Because often what happens in climate when we try and make the climate better is we actually put more burden on those communities. If you think about the cap and trade program in California, the, the, so what we found is that it was actually causing more siting to happen in overburdened communities. So we need to do better, and, and my office is, is working, you know, as, as, as Pusch and other folks put money out there, one of the things my office is doing is, is working on the dashboards and the data and the tracking to ensure that we're doing the right thing for people in the future. So let me uh, end a little abruptly on my part so you can have a chance to say whatever you'd like to say to close. No, I, you know what, that, that's a great note to end on. You know, one of the things, so part of my office is emergency response. And one of the things we often think about is when there is a community that is hit by a hurricane, usually you see a lot of the underserved communities that are last to come back online. And partly that's because they haven't had the infrastructure that's been built resiliently. Um, we never actually focused our efforts there. Sometimes it's the more rural communities because they're so far apart from the city centers. And so as we start to execute these funds, how do we very actively think about building in resilience into some of these underserved communities? How do we think of things like microgrids to actually um, really power those communities when potentially you have a large scale impact? So this is something that we all have to be keeping on our minds as we invest in the grid. And then just to close, I think going back to the cyber informed engineering, we released the strategy, but you know, strategy was the first part, now it's the action plan. And so we're gonna be developing an action plan in partnership, obviously led by Idaho, but also with NIST. And we're gonna need everyone coming to the table saying what can your organizations be doing to design the grid of the future securely? How do you contribute to standards bodies? How do you contribute to um, different frameworks? And so it will take all of us coming together to, to do that. So, Thank you for, for having us here.
And thanks to Ann for the partnership. Piyush Kumar, the head of the Caesar office at the Energy Department with Ann Duncan, the Energy CIO. You can read more about the AFCEA Bethesda event in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, Leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns Monday with leaders from the Air Force, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and the Energy Department. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. 